The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Before we begin, I want to let you know that at the end of this interview, I have some personal information to share with you. Information that I've been withholding for over a decade now. I always intended to keep it private, but I will share with our Veritas family. So wait until the end for my disclosure. According to tonight's special guest, you have been lied to. UFOs are real and not some figment of the public's imagination, which we have been led to believe. This deception has gone on for far too long, and it's time we, the public deceived, fight back. Tonight, we'll discuss several theoretical applications concerning what the UFO phenomenon may represent. Exploring his own alien abduction, which occurred in the winter of 1989, and examining both old and new cases alike, he draws upon several conclusions as to what we may be up against. He informs us that we are dealing with something which appears to operate on a higher level of conscious awareness, and that a certain species known as the Greys has given us a variety of clues as to what they are, along with their modus operandi. He also informs us that the media machine has deliberately orchestrated this cover-up to dumb down the masses in an effort to falsify the UFO phenomenon. Our human history, genesis, and sole purpose as humans has been deliberately tampered with by nameless, faceless bureaucrats whose time is running out. We, the public, have a right to the truth. We are not alone, never have been. The war for truth is a stronger now than it's ever been before. If you want the truth, stay with us. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Philip Kinsella. It's both a clairvoyant, medium and UFO investigator and author. Having had many bizarre UFO and paranormal experiences throughout his life, along with his identical twin brother, Ronald, he began to research the phenomenon on a serious level of investigations after an alien abduction in 1989. This led him to write several books. Tonight, we'll be discussing his experience and one of his books titled, You, the Public Deceived, the Grand UFO Deception. Philip joins us directly from Bedfordshire, England, UK. Hello, Philip, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel, and I'm very honored to be on board. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's my pleasure, and I am really looking forward after reading your book today. Your story is amazing. Let's begin with the title of your book, 
You, the public deceived, the grand UFO deception. What do you really mean with that title? Well, you know, it's quite humorous, really, because most people assume that I was linked with the uh, debunker Philip Klaas because he wrote a book under a similar title. But you, the public, deceived the grand UFO deception. I wanted to write because I wanted to show the good public that we are being deceived by the fact that there is a presence, people call it UFOs, and that the system we serve has deliberately hampered that belief. Um, and I wanted to show that also that the abduction phenomena, as we call it, is a reality, although we're not sure of what level of the psychological uh, areas we're, we're dealing with in terms of uh, the processes involved. But the book goes into detail with um, several theoretical models that I've come up with. But we are being deceived. I mean, since Roswell's inception in 1947, I think every ufologist or anyone interested in UFOs knows about that case. There was an instant cover-up by the uh, the American Army, the Roswell Army Air, Air Force, and this then led to a so-called conspiracy. So after all these years, we're still debating and analyzing the data, and we're still being told, no, there's nothing to see here, look the other way. But who's playing who? Most of the times we're being deceived by entities called the Greys, we're being deceived by our very own government. Uh, and so who's playing who? And that's why I wanted to write this book, also examining old and new cases alike. Let's begin with your story. What happened in 1989 and 1996? You had two experiences that challenged your belief in the, as you call it, I call it the powers that want to be, but you say the system, right? Yes, that's right. Um, I mean, beforehand, uh, my, my brother and I, my twin brother and I, Ronald, he's an author and artist himself. We had an, quite a number of UFO sightings and experiences at close range. But in the winter of 1989, that seemed to shatter uh, the whole paradigm of the UFO reality. Because when you observe these objects, uh, it's very startling, incredible. But when you then find yourself in a situation uh, that people call an abduction, uh, it happened with me on a very different level of integration, and I will explain. And this led to me researching the phenomena on a deeper level of what exactly we are dealing with. In the winter of 1989, um, I came, I, I did not record the date or the time because in those days, alien abductions were not on my mind, Mel. Um, but it, it happened when I came home from work um, in the winter and um, I came up to the drive. We lived in a, a small cul-de-sac in quite a large house in a corner. And all of the house was, uh, you know, the doors in all the rooms, bar from the upstairs, were glass. And there's a common theme with this as we go into the, uh, the experience. I walked through the door and the glass doors, walked through the hall. Uh, my mother was out at work uh, on nights. And my dog was there to greet me and my brother and my sister. And as you walk through the door, it led directly towards the kitchen, kitchen diner, and then you have the conservatory. So I walk into the kitchen and plonk myself behind the cabinet uh, that's, so that I'm facing the hallway with the glass door open and the dog is sitting in front of me. My brother is standing uh, to in towards the uh, front of the dining area, so he hasn't got any access to the hall. He's facing me and my sister's to my far left. I know we were talking about 
you know, mundane things. I just wanted to just relax and have a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, something very strange began to happen. Uh, the atmosphere started to change. It became uh, what I would call electric. It was sort of very dense. And immediately, the dogs started to growl. And within this change of envir environmental, um, you know, happening, um, my brother suddenly froze and he his head went up to the he he looked up to the ceiling and he said there's going to be an earthquake or grandma's going to die now as he said those words the energy or the uh, atmosphere began to increase and the dog be became more frantic now my brother didn't move he seemed to be frozen it's very bizarre and i thought well there's no earthquake and grandma hasn't died at that point she was still alive in our world and Incredibly, what happened next was that there was a light that came up from the driveway through the glass doors. And I thought that my mother had returned home from work early, but the light was intensifying. And what I was looking at was the glass doors began to bend backwards and forwards as though uh, its whole composition had become like jelly. And I'm standing there and this uh, feeling of dread filled me. My brother didn't move. I don't know what my sister was doing because she, maybe she was put out. I don't know. I've no idea because I didn't look at her. But then this small being came through the glass door, literally through the glass front doors to the house that were like jelly. And immediately I caught sight of it. And it was three foot tall. It was clad all in black. It was diminutive in size. It wore what I can only describe was some type of helmet on its head that was also black. And it, as it came through the door, the door immediately returned uh, to normal and it shot forward to the right, which was where my brother and I shared a bedroom stroke study. It's a very large room. And I'm standing there looking through the hall. The dog is starting to bark really loudly. My brother snaps out of whatever it was that he was in, and I immediately shouted, there's an intruder in the house, and I reached behind me to grab a knife out of the drawer, <laughs> a big knife, and I yelled, there's an intruder in the house, and at that point, the being came from our room in the corner and dashed across the hall up the stairs and disappeared. So we searched the house and there was nothing. And later on, I broke down because I'd never seen or witnessed anything like quite like that in my life. I mean, you know, I, I just thought I was going out of my mind. My brother has no record of going into what he calls his trance. And this is interesting because another researcher here in England, Pierre Sebeck, has formulated a, a, a connection between what was next to happen um, and that was even more distressing because at that point, you know, people seeing aliens coming uh, through your door uh, was not the done thing. No one spoke about it. So in the early hours of the morning, um, I don't know what time it was because there was no clock visible because I awoke immediately to find myself uh, that night or the early hours of the next morning laying on my back about three foot off the floor, awaking in the hall where this being had come through, and I'm suspended. So I'm, I'm, my 
head is facing the kitchen door and I'm hovering and I, I wake up and I think, and it's not sleep paralysis, as most people have said, because the immediate shock was I can't move, but I'm moving. And I was being pulled or forcibly pulled through the glass doors to the kitchen and I could see the dog asleep in the corner of the kitchen diner. I then am being um, moved through to the conservatory glass doors, through to the conservatory, and then through those glass doors and out in, we had a very large garden with a big pond there. And I, I'm finding myself being lifted up and being looking up. I'm seeing all these UFOs and I'm thinking, well, this is crazy because they're real they're actually real. People have said they're not, and they're here. And immediately, I caught sight of this circular craft high up, and it looked much darker in comparison to the others, but wasn't moving. The others were moving. And as soon as I caught sight of it, I was lifted up, or I felt this um, overwhelming sense of, you know, that feeling that you get when you're on a roller coaster and just about to take your dip. And I was propelled towards the craft and then I blacked out and there are two more parts to this and the second part was the one um, that was very distressing and uh, difficult for me to um, discuss but uh, you know I will discuss it now uh, because I did suffer on media television with regards to you know you being honest and open about it and then you're the target aren't you but I woke then again because I must have blacked out or we assume that's what happened. I awoke to find myself again on uh, being being suspended, uh, apprehended. I was on this bed uh, forcibly. How can I put the word? Not chained to the bed, but I can't move. I'm strapped at the legs and the arms and I'm hot. And I also find embarrassingly that I'm naked. It's very hot in this room. And I'm confused. I'm thinking, well, one minute I was coming through the doors, the next minute I was coming up, and now I'm in this room. It's a little bit dingy and dark. There is light ahead of me, but kind of like around a corridor thing. And the horror of finding myself in this situation, not knowing where I am, I start to yell. And when I look to my right, uh, embarrassingly, and I, I'm not one of these people to talk about reptilians, but there were three tall reptilians that were stand, standing to my direct right, and they were covered in this mist or this fog, and they were they didn't communicate. They were moving in a very strange stance from left to right, left to right, in, in unison with one another. And I then discovered when I looked down that there was something that had been placed into the lower part of the, the anatomy, anatomy, sorry. And I don't think it takes much for the imagination to work one out what that is. But it felt organic within the lower part of my abdomen. And the shock, the horror of trying to get up and not being able to move, being hot and finding these things looking at me and this thing in me, and it felt organic, as I said, because it it seemed to be pulsating inside the lower um, bowel or the stomach. It's around this region. I started to scream because I, I wanted it out. I, I didn't understand where I was or what was going on. It, it, was, it was truly terrifying. It was horrible. And after some time, this small 
gray, but it was more creamy colored than a gray, came through the corridor in front of me. And when I turned to look to my right, the three other beings had gone. And I found that the device that had been inserted to the low anatomy was being released, being pulled out on its own. There was, I couldn't see what was pulling it. I assumed it was being pulled out on its own. Um, the straps were released and I got up and I was ordered immediately by this small three foot cream colored gray, if, I, if that's the right terminology to use, to dress. So I, I took my my pajamas and I dressed and I felt grateful to it because it had seemingly been the one that released me from this very bizarre situation. And I was ordered to follow it through to this corridor that was quite foggy, but, but I could see lights, but I, I could see the light coming through from the ceiling area. And it brought me to a wall, what I thought was a wall. And the wall then turned into a door. It, it just disappeared like an opening. And I could see our property from a height. And it was beginning to be morning. It was becoming morning. And I could see incredulously um, another smaller craft, a circular craft, hovering over our conservatory. Now, this is the, this is the end part that's coming up here. The grey wanted me to leave. And I know I joke about this. I'm like, well, you just want me to step out. You know, I started to get upset because I'm like, well, heights are my things. There's jump no jump out of the just, ship? Yeah, just get out. It's <laughs> like I also had the impression, although, you know, I tried to report facts as, as they stand, but I was I was shown this impression of this tree and, and I – I, I could never understand what the tree meant, this really old tree. But anyway, whether it was coming from this gray, I have no idea. But it told me to get out. Uh, at that point, as I moved forward, I was aware of two other grays that were accompanying me down towards the ground, floating, as it were. It was a weird sensation, and I was ordered not to look at these two grays. Well, I'm thinking that's weird because I saw the gray up there. Why can't I look at these two? And as we come down to the ground, my attention then is focused to the last gray that I see that is standing underneath this smaller circular ship by our conservatory. I guess the other two guys had cleared off. But on all the occasions, it's almost as if I'm not to look back. And this gray was the most striking. Um, and and the, my brother has tried to illustrate it through digital art. Um, he was probably about four foot tall, not three foot tall like the others. He seemed a little bit more human in uh, construction, if I can use that word. Um, he had large black eyes. His chin came to a pronounced point at the end. He had more of a pronounced slit from mouth, dots for nose. He was clad in a one-piece khaki uniform. He wore knee-length black boots and he, and he had on his head this ridiculous pointed hat that seemed to just come underneath of his craft. So as I'm floating there, because I don't feel like I touched the ground, I can't move, I am stunned because this grey has his arms folded across his chest and his face is of complete anger and annoyance. And I'm like, well, hang on just a minute. I'm not, I'm not going to swear here. I keep everything clean. Who abducted who? Yeah, what well, what is this? What the hell is going on here? And I he didn't once communicate to me because I wanted to hit him. 
I thought, you know, you're standing there looking angry with me. I should be angry with you because I've gone through this bizarre experience. And I, and I thought, I need proof. I need proof. I've got it. I've got it. I, I thought if I asked him this question, he gave me the answer, I'd have it all solved. I said to him, oh, mentally, I can't remember if it was mental or verbal, but I said, how, on, how the hell am I able to get through solid matter? How am I able to get through locked and bolted doors? I mean, you know, hey, come on, how is that possible? And immediately he looked shocked. His mouth turned into an O. And if you've ever seen animated plastic move, it is a very disconcerting thing because that's what it looked like. He looked shocked. And then his, as his mouth went into an O, he tipped his head back, looked up to the underneath of his craft. And the voice that came out was a rasping electronic voice, rather like my brother and I had um, a ZX81 with a voice synthesizer when they first came on the market. And the only way I can explain it was that his voice sounded like this voice synthesizer. And as he started to rasp this incomprehensible language, I then found myself crashing through the conservatory glass doors, through to the kitchen door, through to the hall door, and back into to the room downstairs where my bedroom was. And then I slammed into my body. And as I slammed into my body, I awoke immediately. Yes, awoke. Was I awake? Yes, perhaps. I can't remember. And I had a nosebleed. And I had to go and sort myself in the bathroom. And I was very upset. And the next morning, my brother checked the back of my right ear. And we found three triangular marks and a perfect burn-like triangle. We tried to take photographs on, we used to have a self-developing Kodak camera. The images never came out. I had three marks on my right arm. Um, I had extensive nosebleeds to the right nostril that the doctors were going to cauterize a few years later. Uh, but, it, but it seemed to clear up and I found it difficult to move. Now, what was interesting was that after all these years of trying to work out, this is the only abduction that I feel that I, I had, although there may have been one more many years later, but I only state with the facts of what happened. Um, I couldn't believe it. And I thought that when I studied uh, the abduction phenomenon, that the experience happened on a very physical level of integration. Well, that didn't happen with me. And, that, and this is why then I was led on this crusade to find out what on earth had happened, what was going on. And interestingly, before I finish with this part, um, Pierre Sabak, a brilliant researcher, he's written a few book, a number of books. Yeah, he's been with me yeah. a few weeks ago. Oh, bless him. Yeah, he's a brilliant man. Um, he actually said to me uh, about a year ago, he said, do you realize that Noddy, as I endearingly call the last grey that I've seen, I just, I just called him Noddy because, you know, that hat and the way he looked. Um, he said, do you realize that he was mimicking what your brother had done? And I, I was so shocked. And I said, oh, my God. And Pierre Sabat reckons that whatever this intelligence was, was had scrambled my brother's mind at that point when the small being came through the door and Noddy seemed to be replicating that in some bizarre fashion. Now, we don't have the answers. We, we don't understand what happened. But all I can state to you is that, you know, I, I felt ashamed um, and I don't want sympathy. Uh, I had to go through this experience on my own. 
um, through a lot of pain. And also then the media got hold of it um, because I used to belong to a group and uh, someone told someone and then, you know, this led to that. And being honest didn't uh, fare with me very well because I found myself in a media circus. Um, so that was that part. That was what we call the abduction. Although, to be honest with you, I still don't know what to term it um, because we're still looking into the research with regards to that experience, but it's not uncommon. Um, and being very honest and open about it is something that I think fares very well. The 1996 episode, um, that was more of a revelation because since the abduction in 1989, I kept pondering about what the greys were and how they did what they did. And I remembered I was at work at the time in 1996, and immediately um, I had what I could only term was my very first and only download. It was a strange feeling of uh, like your mind opening, and the answer that you've been looking for has been given to you. I can't describe the feeling, because when you're speaking in words, it lacks the emotions of what you were going through at the time. The same with the abduction, which was very terrifying at that time. But it was like a whole formula had come into uh, being. And I remembered I had to grab a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil. And I scribbled the whole thing down. And I went home and I punched the whole thing out. And I sent the, uh, the article to a magazine which was called Alien Encounters. Um, quite hot back then it doesn't it ceased now it doesn't exist anymore but they called it revolutionary within its speculation and i wanted to work out what the greys were and uh you know what their modus operandi were and it is theoretical i i i'm open to all forms of speculation um in all areas of the ufo field and delighted to be among brilliant minds where we come together and try to formulate a hypothesis about what we're dealing with. But you know, I'll tell you something here, um, Mel, it's very interesting because we're not just dealing with one thing here. There is a multitude of other connections that's linked with this phenomena. And I think a lot of researchers are trying to cram it into one box and it just won't fit. I know you thought long and hard, long and hard before you came yeah. out with uh, this full story and, and the degrading and the humanizing aspect of, of your experience. I don't have to remind you that this is a safe place and if you want to add anything to it that you never said before. In Because when you go to the media, especially probably when you did this, the media was not ready. And I sense, correct me if I'm wrong, but I sense now that they are taking this subject seriously. As opposed oh, yes. to before where they say you get a producer calling you, hey, we want to interview you. And, uh, you know, yeah. they do the interview. And after you leave, they edit it in a way where they mock you. Would yes. you agree with that and statement? You know, oh, absolutely. Totally. Because what I found was that I hadn't approached anyone. The only, only people I approached was the magazine. And I was more interested in the theoretical applications of the abduction phenomena. Um, I wasn't interested in limelight or fame, but I thought that, you know, well, I could, uh, you know, bring a good case to the public to show them this is real. How naive I had been. There were some programs that were okay, they were mediocre, but again, they edited out a lot of the material. And even when I had my first um, book published, um, well, it wasn't my first 
it was my second book. The first one um, from Kepelbaum Publishing Limited uh, was Reaching for the Divine. But the second book, Believe, which dealt with the psychic and UFO phenomena, the, the publisher actually told me um, that I had to edit that part that dealt with the intrusive investigation on board a supposed craft. And, th- and this, you know, I, I said, okay, we can do that. And so I remembered and recalled most vividly that the whole subject matter was very sensitive and did lead into areas of ridicule. But I do agree with you. I think we've moved now. And I feel much more comfortable in discussing um, the subject matter, but also the fact that I had to somehow justify my character, my good nature. And I thought, to hell with that. I'm being honest. Why do I have to pander to these people and be something I'm not? I never have been. And I, and I found this with the media. It was all like a big circus act. It was all like, you know, um, starry-eyed. And I, I was never prepared for that. And I never wanted any of it. I just wanted the truth. Um, so we live and learn, as they say. But certainly now... We're moving into past just green, and we are dealing with a lot of brilliant people who we're coming to the table and finding that, you know, by addressing certain issues, especially the greys and the abduction phenomena, and also um, the afterlife, which has fascinated me uh, on a theoretical level, um, you know, we, we, we're in a good company now. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I really am. You saw the rawness of, of 1989, and you saw a complete change in your belief that aliens, as we term them, are peace-loving entities. How so? Yeah, um, well, I'm not denouncing the fact that there may be beings who are love and light, um, but the experience I had was anything but. But saying that, a lot of things did happen after the 1989 event, and especially going past the 1996 event, which led into the even more complex and controversial subject of life after death. And um, this became apparent when some family members of mine had died, and I had gone to see a medium, uh, and thankfully a very good one, who used to work for the FBI in America on cold soul cases. And she wiped the floor with me, Mel, and I couldn't believe it. And she knew, uh, she didn't know me from Adam. I even covered my name and my number. And she knew about the extraterrestrial intervention. And she also knew about my interest in UFO research. She also said that I would become what is known as a medium. But I feel very uncomfortable with that word. It sounds very Victorian. I think interpreter because the way that I saw this and through many, many years of research is that the system that we serve has deliberately dumbed down the masses. And there are three subject matters that really fascinate me. And I know they fascinate you as well, Mel, because I've done my homework. <laughs> it's the universe, yeah. UFOs, and life after death, our genesis, our creation. And, and, and you'll, you'll find that a lot of people who have had what they call abductions suddenly go through some form of neurological rewiring. It's as though the experience has opened them to a whole new paradigm of thought, of awareness, of empathy, of connection. And this is something that the system we serve does not offer uh, the inhabitants of this planet. So, you know, at that point, I began to research consciousness, as it were. And this led into some very interesting territory 
with regards to the so-called greys and also some aspects of the abduction phenomenon. And what made me laugh was that people were saying, well, what are the greys? What are the greys? Well, we'll come to that later. But have we not asked the question of what we are, what we represent? Um, and I, I think that's a very interesting question to ask um, because, you know, we're all looking out instead of within. And I think that uh, this is where the problem lies. But unfortunately, no matter what you say, uh, the system that we serve, and I call it the system, um, programs consciousness at a very early age. And that's good to a degree uh, because we need some grounding. But when you start to venture into other areas uh, that uh, are uncomfortable territory, you are told, no, they don't exist. But what is surprising is that millions of people upon this planet believe in an ancient manuscript. It seemed to me that people were more comfortable in something that has passed and not something that is present. And this puzzled me immensely. So from that point of 1989, I think in some ways uh, the experience has helped me. I still don't understand what happened. I have no answers as to that. Um, but it has opened up an area of my mind which has led me into a deeper respect for the creation and also for the afterlife, conscious survival, for want of a better word, <clears throat> excuse me, and also for the UFO problem. And it is a problem because we are still no nearer in understanding what we're truly dealing with. You said it best. To me, if I had to summarize the purpose of this program is the search for the primordial questions, the answers. Who are we or what are we? Where do we come from and where are we going? What is our, our purpose? But before we get into the deeper part and the more esoteric part, I really want to dissect what you went through. And do, do, do you have full recollection of this event or did you have to recur to hypnotic regression? No, I record everything as though it happened yesterday. That is the bizarre part of this experience um i've i've had no regression there was one person bless him who tried many years ago to regress me because there were some parts in childhood that had occurred uh that were very bizarre and uh, i've had some help from some uh, very top uh, ufologists i'm very delighted and honored to say um one of those is kathleen marden the niece to Betty and Barney Hill, a ufologist and author herself, right. uh, a very empathic soul. And um, so, you know, I do feel that there was an event that happened in my childhood uh, that, that uh, you know, I, I don't really want to go into here because we're still working on that. Um, so, yeah, I do recall everything as though it happened yesterday. And the most troubling part was Noddy. Uh, the last being that I saw, people say to me, well, you know, aren't you more troubled with what happened on the ship? Well, I can assure you if it was a ship, and I have to, you know, step on very careful grounds here because we we truly don't know what we're dealing with. Uh, but that being Noddy was the most frightening thing I'd ever seen in my life. And yet, on a deeper level of the psyche, he seemed familiar. 
And, you know, people say, what do you mean? And I say, I, I can't answer that question. He just seemed familiar to me on some level. People come out with all forms of uh, conclusions or hypotheses as to what they think it is. But at the end of the day, we have to understand it's an individual experience. Um, and I, I can't say where I'd seen him before um, or at what point in my life, if it was in this life, and again, step into uncomfortable territory. But he seemed familiar. But everything was very clear. There was a gap, however, when I reached the craft, um, I blacked out. So I, d I don't know what happened there. Uh, and of course, the uh, the nosebleeds continued embarrassingly so for about two years. And then I had problems with the right ear, which I still have today, and which is kind of like a little bit of a funny story uh, really behind that. Um, do I have an implant? It's possible. Um, you know, but people say, oh, go and get it checked. Well, I did try that, but it appeared that I was stopped on several occasions. So I kind of like guessed, well, it doesn't matter. You know, if it's there, it, if it's there, it's there. If it's not, then I'm not really worried. But there is something in there because I can feel it. Uh, and I actually felt it move uh, some years ago, which is quite shocking, which led me to go back to the doctor's. Um, shall I describe that event to you, Mel, of the doctors? Before you go there, I want to discuss this, but I still want to go back to the experience. And by the way, I don't want to sound sadistic by prying into the finer details of your experience, because I know you went through a lot of psychological and physical pain. But as hard as this might be, I want to enter your mind and experience all these senses What did you feel? Hot, cold? What did you smell? What did you see? Describe everything in detail, and then we'll get into the more granular levels of, of the implants and yeah. the rest of it. Okay. Are you talking about when I found myself on the bed? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I awoke immediately to find myself in a semi-darkened room. Um, there was light ahead of me. It's almost as if there was a panel that, you know, like there's a there's a, an opening, but you can't quite see around the opening. There was light coming from there. It was very hot. That was one of the things that I found uh, very alarming. It was very hot and uh, hard to breathe to a degree because it, of the heat. I found myself on this bed and clamped to this bed, my arms and my legs, although I could move my head up, so my head wasn't clamped down. Um, horror, sheer horror, when these three reptilians, when I saw them to my right, uh, the only thing that I can explain is that I was completely horrified and even more so on discovering that there was something in the lower part of my anatomy and it felt organic. This is the thing I, I'm trying to explain. It felt like there was a living thing in there and that was the most horrific feeling I've ever had in my life. And it felt like it was, you know, where the bowel is, um, the bowel, it could have been the stomach, but I feel more to the bowel, the lower part, um, wherever it was, it, I could feel it. And that also horrified me. <clears throat> the room was not very big. I don't feel that it was a big room. You know, people say, oh, the huge. It wasn't very big. It felt quite confined, but it was quite dark. So it was hard to make out a lot of detail, um, except that it was hot and it was not very well lit. Um, 
so that that's the only way I can explain it to you. It it was very weird, but the feeling of horror, of abject horror, was intense, and that's why I started to scream to get get it out of me. I wanted this thing out of me, and these three beings didn't seem at all phased. They were like I was just a piece of meat on a slab. There was no empathy whatsoever. There was nothing, and I think that also um, horrified me because I've always been very empathic and very understanding. Um, I mean, I'm no pushover and I'm, you know, I'm not gullible and I'll stand my ground if I need to, but this is what I felt and I can still see it in my mind as though it happened yesterday. Um, you know, but the feelings were very raw. The emotions were very raw. Um, if you can imagine that one minute you're in your bed and the next minute you wake up to find yourself in this situation, your mind is is screaming out to try and understand what has happened, what is going on, what are they doing. It felt like rape, but it wasn't by anyone or anything. It was, a, you know, I felt was a piece of machinery or something that felt organic inside me. Uh, a very embarrassing situation to find yourself in, but that is what I saw. That is what I felt, the horror of trying to get out but not being able to move, um, you know, and, and it was just, uh, you know, special effects and all that. I don't think they could ever get to that point of the true horror of what I was experiencing at that time, and it did upset me and distressed me very greatly. But um, I've moved on from that point now, you know, and um, that's why I'm more interested in the future investigations of uh, of theory with regards to them. But I understand why you, you need to look into that, and I, I respect that. The grey that came forward was cream more than grey, um, but I felt an affiliation with it because it, it's I saw it as like letting me go getting me out of this situation um the three beings had gone i i didn't even see them depart because i was more concerned about what was going on down there and what was happening around me which was hardly anything it was it was it was awful why you and you're not your brother i mean you have an identical twin with an exact genetic composition why you and not him Well, he had an experience that he um, ex explores within his future book um, called The Digital Demon that Philip Mantle, the ufologist and publisher, our mentor, mm -hmm. is bringing out in March. He had one with the doctors, and, and that's uh, something that happened when we had lived in Luton um, uh, much earlier. He did tell me the whole thing, and that scared him to death, but it was nothing like the one that I had. What's interesting um, here, Mel, is the fact that they're the only two abductions <laughs> that we recall. And his was when he was 13 and mine when I was 20. So uh, it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's odd. <laughs> Very odd. And obviously no emotion, no empathy from these beings. Describe the beings. Well, before we describe the beings, can you also describe the... Um, when trying to just piece everything together when you were pulled from your home that transition into home into the craft do you yes. remember anything at all from the moment you were pulled 
until the moment you landed on that bed or gurney? Um, do you mean, sorry, you, you, do I recall from what point of coming from my bedroom to finding myself awake? Finding yourself up there on the craft. The only thing that I recall was going up to the craft very quickly when I spotted it after seeing all these other crafts going past. There was one darker craft. It looked like a gray color that was just sitting there. And upon observing that, it, it kind of like struck me because it wasn't moving. And at that point, I was pulled up towards it very quickly. And then I blanked out. I don't recall anything from that point until I found myself in this room naked and with what I've explained. So I have no memory of what happened in between that point and when I, when I woke up um, on the bed. How much time went by and did anyone at home realize that you weren't there? No, no one realized. I, uh, there was no one that didn't know a thing. Um, and it does not work in your favor, does it? But I guess that these intelligences do it in a way that uh, get, keep, gets you off guard. They seem to immobilize people or they're able to. Uh, that's my understanding of it. Um, what time period? Well, I don't know because when I found myself being uh, forcibly moved on my back about three feet off the floor, floor through the conservatory glass doors, the kitchen doors, bedroom door, whatnot. I found myself in the hall to begin with where the being had come through the main door. That's where I woke up. I don't know. It, it, I, there was no clock for me to look at. So, But I assumed that when the gray on the ship ordered me to leave, it was very early morning. So who knows how much time had passed? There's no way of of proving any of this and uh, not that I I've ever intended to I was more interested in the the nuts and bolts behind it um so I guess some time had passed yeah that would make absolute sense to me and I have thought about that but I'm not one of these people to say oh yes this happened to me I have no idea I I, I literally don't know and I, I appreciate the candor because if you don't know you don't know I'm just some experiences have told me that it's almost as if they stopped time it feels that they were gone for eight hours and they come back and it's almost a couple of minutes later and perhaps this could be why you feel the atmosphere electrifies. Who knows? But describe the beings. You say they were the typical greys and also reptilians. Was one type subservient to the other? Who was in control? There was no way of telling. The three reptilians were or appeared to me, or I, if I can use the word feel, Although there's, again, there's no way of proving it, but they appeared to be the ones in charge. The gray, thinking about it after all these years, because that's all I've done is think about it, obviously was some kind of subservient being and was there for, for these reptilians. You know, coming forward with the story of reptilians would have seen to my ultimate downfall. You know, I have to joke here. There's the man that's interested in UFOs, and now he's interested in talking to the dead. I thought my reputation would well and truly be flushed down the toilet. But <laughs> going back to your question, we have to have humor with this. And I've, I've dealt with this for many, many years. The reptilians were very dark. Um, I am colorblind. But I do know my basic colors. Um, they were quite a, a dark uh, 
greeny brown color they were quite well built but they were doing something very strange they were they're doing a strange stance like they were stepping to the right and to the left uh, you know and some people said do you think it was some type of ceremonial thing i said i have no idea but they were in a more dense uh, fog uh they although it was hot in the room there seemed to be a fog around them and that always puzzled me but all i got from them was nothing it was like literally no empathy no love no understanding i i was just literally a piece of meat on the slab and to this day mel i still don't understand why you know this happened i you know and i did battle with uh, you know looking into other forms of of the mind of psychology or this type of thing uh but the experience was as real as i'm sitting here talking to you um and you know going through the pain uh of the emotional disruption that i had of being openly mocked um after the programs by people you know i would never want them to find themselves in that situation because it's all very well when you know the shoes on the other foot but i would never want that for anyone because it was very distressing um you know and we have to be candid about this whole thing we have to look at all areas which is very interesting so there were several parts to this one was physical integration um or a, a physical thing the other one was non-physical and that interested me greatly because i thought hmm i wonder how these beings are doing what they're doing you know it may answer a few questions as to what we may be dealing with um so my experience is in no way unique uh, because years later i found out that people were going through the same experience although the experiences themselves happened on a very personal level of integration but there were patterns and that was what interested me and and uh, 1996 opened up the floodgates to a new hypothesis literally a theory because it cannot be proven but um you know i still think about it it's still as fresh in my mind as though it happened yesterday um mel and that is uh something that haunts me still when you say they instructed you through your mind how can you describe the telepathic communication was it a mental picture or what to do voices in your mind symbols concepts no it you know that's a very interesting question and a very good question at that point in time with the urgency of me wanting to depart the situation it felt more like a command it was very cold and i did feel that it came through my head i've i've read and understood people trying to explain this telepathic exchange as we call it or this uh mind to mind communication um but you know when when mediums deal with information that's being translated from another realm it comes through in the process of thought of feeling of emotion but the one that this came through the gray more like a command um you know dress uh, follow me it was almost like i knew what it wanted me to do and it came through more like an order very cold um no emotion with it whatsoever but at that point i just wanted out you know i just thought well i i just want to get out i want to get out of here <laughs> did they ever and i guess the answer is no but did do you ever get a sense even after this event happened 
Did they ever convey to you the purpose of your abduction? Absolutely not. And it was all, you know, when I when I look back at it, um, Pierre Sabac didn't make an interesting connection with Noddy and my brother. So it could be feasible to assume on some level that they had knocked him out and they could possibly have knocked my sister out at the same time because she had been to my far left and she was not in view to the hallway where I had been. Incidentally, our dog passed over not long afterwards. He had a brain tumor. Is it attributed to what happened? We don't know. I, I can't, uh, you know, cast aspersions onto that fact. But he had died shortly after the experience. Um, and, you know, I also had physical marks. Uh, and this is what intrigued me more than anything. I remembered I, I took a lot of, uh, you know, rip from work with it. And um, but I was serious to, to find out what had happened, because to me, it was very real. To me, it was a real experience and a very frightening one. So I'm not there, you know, to scare people or, you know, I'm, I'm no one special. I think we're all special. We're all unique. But my quest was to find out what on earth this was and try to tie it into other um, experiences that we had um, that obviously you know about. Um, and some of them, thank God, have been recorded um, because people say, prove it to me. And I always say to them, well, even if I had a piece to the Roswell craft or a piece of the wreckage and I put that in front of you, you still wouldn't believe me. So, you know, it, it appears to me that people are more interested in the past because it's a safe distance, you know, cases from the past, which you know, we're all interested in. And you find this, that when you present the evidence, what little evidence you have, people aren't interested. It's almost as if there's a part of them that can't see that, that don't want to see it. But they want to continue with their ideas of how they see it. So it's a very complex subject matter uh, and very personal, I think, to the individual. I've heard from other experiences that, uh, speaking of the reptilians and the greys, that the greys are the workers for the reptilians and they are bio-robots. Do you agree with that? Well, I won't in any way denounce that fact because we have to be open to all forms of speculation. But I have a different theory on the greys or certain faction of them. You see, like humans, uh, we're all very different, aren't we? And my understanding with the human is that we are more than simply flesh and blood creatures with a cell-by date. Um, and that we're all in a cosmic accident. I have never subscribed to that fact at all. And going back to the question, uh, you know, of, of what we are, you know, what we represent, you know, people are more than happy to just carry on with their lives, which is great. But when you want to put your hand up and say, um, please, sir, I need to ask this question. It's like, no, you don't go down that road, um, you know, or you're told a simplified version of what the scientific um, circles want you to understand as truth. So as I said before, dealing with the UFO subject is like going down the rabbit hole, not concerning conspiracy theory, because we're dealing with conspiracy reality. Um, you know, I always say that, you know, when you're starting to investigate the UFO phenomena, we have to separate the wheat from the chaff. So, you know, it, with regards to your question, what are the greys? That was something I was very interested in, and I wanted to find my own 
answers to that. But we still don't have those answers. We only have a bunch of theories. Uh, they could possibly be a subservient force to the reptilians. But I had a very hard time dealing with that on some respects, uh, on some levels, sorry, in some respects. Um, because you get people telling you what it is. Some people say, well, it's this. And other people say, well, it's that. And they, you know, they are absolutely confirmed within their structure of belief. And I'm not going to denounce that. But when you're dealing with the UFO phenomenon, we have to be open to other forms of speculation. Again, I will never put myself in a box and say, I believe it's this and this only, because we just don't know. We still don't understand what we're up against or what we're dealing with. A lot of people tell me that this is a multi-generation phenomena. Would you say that in addition to you and your brother, anyone else, some of your ancestors perhaps, and I don't know if they kept it quiet, any idea if anyone else in your family has gone through these events? Not so much the abductions, but certainly the UFO uh, events, absolutely. I mean, when my twin brother and I had been aged 13, my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, lived in a very large house uh, in uh, Middlesex, Felton, Middlesex. And um, my grandfather used to work for KLM, and he was out at work, and we'd spend our summer vacations and our uh, you know holidays with them. They were an amazing couple. We, my brother and I, and my grandmother were out in the back garden uh, one sunny, sunny evening, afternoon, evening. As a child, I can't remember if it was afternoon or evening, but it was sunny and there was a very slight breeze. And we had clocked a silver balloon that we thought at first was a silver balloon in the clear blue sky. But this silver balloon was not a silver balloon because it was moving very quickly and with intent towards us. And as it got nearer, um, we found that it was completely spherical in nature. It was like a, a foot, the size of a football. It was perfectly silver. There were no markings on it whatsoever. It hovered over the back tree and then came over to our grandmother and hovered quite high above her head. And we said to her, Grandma, what is it? And she said, the fairies have come to take a closer look at us. Well, we knew that the, it wasn't the fairies, but I guess she was trying to cover this. She didn't seem at all phased because my, my grandmother was psychic. She never, ever spoke about UFOs to me and my brother, not once. But the, the object itself then moved towards the, how, the bedroom windows to the first floor and then up to the bedroom windows to the second floor, what would be known as the attic rooms. And then it went across and we raced into the house to the other side of the house and watched as it disappeared. That had been the talk of the family for ages. I have a cousin who uh, is a manager of an oil rig who also had an experience with a, a luminous orb or a UFO in the early hours of the morning when he was out working because he you know, has big breaks uh, being back in the country and then going back to work. And my, un my uncle, Bob, um, also saw, uh, my jaw was on the floor when I was a young teenager when he reported to me and my brother that uh, they lived in Caister uh, near the sea. Um, and he'd taken his dog out for a run. And he saw this huge cigar-shaped UFO literally coming out of the ocean and all what he called these little orbs going into it. Uh, and he was a man who was very against anything like this. So it has been in the family, but no one has reported abductions, at least not to, to, not to my mind. No one has, no. 
Well, let's dive into, we have just a few minutes before we take a break, but let's talk about your implants. Because in addition to the implants, you also experienced some, uh, you were embarrassed when you were taking the train and all of a sudden bleed, you, you would bleed from your nose. Yes. Was that fine. at that time or that, did that continue for a long time? No, they were for about two years. The nosebleeds happened from 1989 to 1991. I could be on the train going to work because at that time I didn't drive. I used to walk from the village a mile to this rickety old train station and get this rickety old train to Bedford. Um, but they would just start and they didn't stop for ages. It was an embarrassment that I had. And this led me going to the doctors uh, about this. And they said if it continued, we would cauterize the nose. But they stopped two years after the experience. The main problem was my right ear. Uh, that's where I had a lot of problems. Um, and uh, it felt like there was something in there. And now was this linked to the abduction? Well, who can say? I just assumed that the marks that were found behind my right ear in the shape of a triangle, which had disappeared um, sometime after the experience, but the three marks on my arm haven't, and incidentally, they sometimes burn. Um, there was a problem with the ear, and, and I thought about this, and I'd heard about implants, and I'm not one of these people that says, oh, I've got an implant. I was curious because it felt like my ear was being blocked by something. And uh, when I took a shower, you know, you take a shower every day, you know, it's in there, it's like the water clogged and it was uncomfortable. But the real shock was when I actually felt it move back, literally physically move back. And when it did that, that was a day when I just wanted a little rest and nap, you know, and um, you learn, as you do, you learn your bed, just have a little nap. And, it, and I got up because I was so shocked thinking, oh my Christ, it's moved. It's literally moved in my ear. So I made an appointment to go and see the doctor. And on my first visit to the doctor, he looked in the ear and he looked in the other ear and he looked in the other ear and didn't say anything. And, and that was it. On the second time that I went, the doctor seemed curious about the right ear, but again, incredulously didn't say anything. On the third occasion, I thought, that's it. I'm going back. So I made an appointment with the doctor, went to go and see the doctor, and she had a good old route in there for some time. And as I sat there, she was umming and ahhing and looking, and then she said, just wait a moment. I have to go and get another doctor. And, of course, at that moment, I froze because I thought, God, what has she found? You know, you think of these awful things, those dreaded words we don't, no one wants to hear. So this other doctor comes down. And she has a look. And then she says, oh, she said, she said, it seems to have a crystalline structure. Uh, and it's, it looks like it's still healing. And I'm sitting there thinking, what on earth is she talking about? Well, she, she left it at that, Mel. She literally uh, left it at that, went back. And the doctor in front of me just turned to me and said, have you been abducted by aliens? And of course, I laughed. Mm, I laughed. And I assumed that that was the end of the examination. There was no suggestion for me to go to an ear specialist at the hospital or to have it looked at by someone else. I went back to my car much worse than I'd 
when I'd gone into the doctors. This is a running joke, and this is exactly what happened. And when I came home, you know when you get to that point when you seriously think about something, and I mean seriously, there's a part of you, isn't there, that is no joke. I, I need to think about this. I need to seriously sit down and think about what's just happened. That is exactly what happened. So I guess that, you know, one other presenter said to me, well, it could be that the aliens had, you know, controlled the people. I, I wouldn't go as far as that. But certainly it seemed bizarre. And I thought, well, if it's got to stay in there, whatever it is, it's got to stay in there. People won't be satisfied until they have a dig in there and they put it out. And then they'll rip it apart and they'll say, oh, it's this or that. But there's a part of me that feels now that, no, I want it to remain and there's there was a reason behind that, um, because perhaps it could be some type of, I don't know, mechanism that brings them to you that, you know, and because I'm a curious fellow, by taking it out, I've, I've heard stories where people felt like they're part of them have been lost or it no longer happens. Uh, so that that is that's what happened there. It's like a transponder. And they're able we to see where you are. Yeah, we don't. We I don't know, but it it would appear that way. But again, you're in the firing line with people who have it all worked out, and they tell you what it is without even knowing you or you know your life or anything. And then they use all these psychological tactics to twist things around. And you think, hey, I'm just being honest. I'm being black and white here with you. I'm not hiding anything, and I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. I'm just telling you it is as it is. Sorry. You know, this, this is what happened. I can't change it and I won't add or subtract. This is exactly what happened. But there is a part of me that believes that perhaps this is some type of transmitter or a very advanced uh, device, if we can call it that, that, as we know, enmeshes itself within tissue. So it's very hard to detect and will not be rejected by the body. Um, but I, I can tell you now, the thing actually moved. And you know that shock when you feel it, it moved right back. Yes. I think, yeah, because it's like, whoa, that is not normal. So it kind of scared me, but I'm kind of like, I just, just, you know, the ear still gives me jip, but, you know, I, I haven't died and nothing's happened to me. And, you know, so uh, that's, that's, the, that's where that stands at the moment. Well, we have to take a one and only break, but when, once we come back, I want to discuss also the theoretical aspects of the phenomenon as well because you have dived into this for years now i think this was a precursor or a catalyst for you to actually start looking into other things and you have a lot of information to yes. share how can people buy all your books there are many of them including the one we're discussing tonight you the public deceived the grand ufo deception well, a lot of them are now out of print because the, uh, the when publishers publish them, they in the old days used to publish so many. I, I, I don't know how many copies they ever told me, but um, the ones that are available at the moment on Amazon is You, the Public Deceived, The Grandeur for Deception, and there's Guardians of the Dead and also A Passage to Eternity, The Enigma of the Dead, UFOs and Aliens. So they are three that are on there um, at this present moment of time, yeah. I also want to see the connection that you have found. Uh, a lot of people, when they go through an experience like this, their consciousness changes. In your case, you have a different opinion now about life after death, and that's very curious in this field. But this is Mel Hustlerick. My special guest today is Philip Kinsella, and much more when we return. Don't go anywhere. Mm. 
Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.